The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Years of drunkenness led to dangerous and even life-threatening situations until Eric Morgan had an encounter with Jesus. It wasn't a good setting. It, you know, there was alcohol, drugs present. And as we were sitting there, uh, I, the Holy Spirit came on me so strong. It, was, it felt like somebody had a gun drawn on me. And it was the most powerful prayer I've ever prayed in my life. And I heard the Lord say, Eric, you're gonna live for me and you're gonna tell others what I've done for you. Next. with Randy Robertson, and we're so glad that you took time to, to just stop by and be with us. I really believe that this show is going to have an impact on your life. Um, maybe you've been a believer for a long, long time, and you wonder why you're just struggling. You're trying to get it right, and you feel like you're a disappointment or a failure. Well, I believe our guest is really, like God is really using his life. I mean, he's already just spoken to me through him, just meeting him. So um, I'm excited for you to hear from him. So please welcome our guest, Eric Morgan. Ah, you have friends in the house. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Good to have you. Just for a little background, I want people to know just a little bit about who you are and what you do, because most people won't recognize you. Sure. Because you're in business. That's right. You, That's right. So, um, I'm Eric Morgan. Uh, <laughs> I am in business. Uh, I have a commercial real estate brokerage company. So we mainly, primarily work with businesses that are looking to buy, lease, or sell property. This, um, is, this is what I love about this show, because a lot of you are going to find out. They're gonna, you're going to go, okay, he's not you know, on TV. He doesn't have his own ministry. He hasn't written these books that have sold a bunch of books. He's just a regular guy. He's, he's kind of like me, right? This is, you're going to find out what God wants to do in everyone's life. You don't have to be a spiritual superstar in ministry full-time. This is what God wants to do through everyone. So, with that set up, why, why do you think we ask you to be here? I know you know, but tell the audience what got us excited to hear what's going on in your life. Well, uh, the testimony of Jesus, right? Uh, the, the redemptive power of the gospel, yeah. uh, I believe, is why I'm here. And, and, and I'm looking forward to sharing my story with you guys. I love when David says in the scriptures, he said, all who fear God, gather around and let me declare to you what the Lord has done for me. Well, even though I said, though, um, Eric, that just even having a chance to have dinner with you and your, and your darling wife and hearing a little bit about your life and the rich understanding you have of what it means to be in Christ, I think what makes it even more powerful is that that was not always your story. Could you give us a little back story of, I know you prayed with your grandmother when you were just a little boy. That's right. But things took some a different turn. T talk us a little bit about your life. They did. So I grew up in uh, Anchorage, Alaska, uh, uh, born and raised up there. I had one of those grandmothers. You didn't go in the house without hearing about Jesus. <laughs> if you came in, you were praying before you left, yeah, more than likely. Her. God bless, bless her. her. Uh, yeah. uh, 
oh, Mima, she was special. And I remember uh, praying with her when I was four to receive Christ. And to give you a little backdrop, I remember having a burden for other kids in my neighborhood at a young age, you know, wondering, will they go to heaven? Will they go to hell? Do they know Jesus? I mean, as a young kid, I remember having those, that, that, uh, those burdens. Um, I also remember as a young kid experiencing fear at a young age, Sure, you know, fear that uh, uh, my parents would drop me off and never come back to get me. Mm-hmm. You know, you realize fear is more than an emotion. It's actually a spirit. And, uh, uh, you know, we know that God's not, doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So I think what happened, Sheila, to, to answer that question, I was a, by the time that I got into high school, I had an older brother who was a senior, I was a freshman. So I kind of walked right into knowing everybody, being popular in school. You know, we grew up in Alaska, so we, it wasn't, it was very frequent that we would skip school and go skiing during the day. Oh, jealous. <laughs> so it, was, it was a lot of fun uh, at the time. Not the best thing we should have been doing. But uh, so it really introduced me to really the parting scene then. It's skipping school, beginning to walk in, in small steps of deception, uh, al- drinking alcohol, things like that. And my identity began to shift from who I was in Christ to what others thought of me, mm. to the ap- approval and opinion of my peers. I was a pretty good athlete, so uh, I began to put more value and stock in my performance. And there, that's really created the shift that was, was going to bring about the collapse that, that ultimately happened. So I found out when I was, I think, 15, it would have been end of my freshman year going into my sophomore year, my parents announced, we're going to move to Texas. Oh, boy. Wow. I remember going, wow, well, that doesn't sound like a good time to me. And so, <laughs> yeah, I come to Texas, everybody's got a lot of state pride. So I tell them, you cut Alaska in half, you're the third largest state. Yeah. That didn't go really well. But, but you get a little of our sun, we'll melt you right down to Delaware, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And truthfulness, I thought everybody in Texas rode, wore Wranglers <laughs> and rode horses to school. <laughs> And then when I got here, the joke, the joke was on me because I got here and they all thought I was an Eskimo. <laughs> and so I was like, y'all clearly don't know what an Eskimo is. So, uh, so it was funny. It was a traumatic experience. Yeah. I said that joke, but it really, it was a tough experience. Oh, yeah. We moved to Plano. When we moved here, um, I experienced a lot of rejection. Um, all that identity that was built on false foundations collapsed. And so I remember for the first time feeling real lonely. I felt very insignificant. I felt like, you know, uh, everything I, I began to do was in a search to be significant. And, uh, and so that led to uh, alcohol, that led to the wrong group of friends, that led to the party scene, that eventually led to uh, alcohol and drugs and then gangs and then people involved in, in, in crime and violence that uh, just really, really was a, the wrong place to be. You know, the word says, uh, or I, you could say, summarize it this way, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are or who you're about to become. Wow. Right? The word says, um, be with evil and become evil. Be with righteous and become righteous. Curses chase sinners while blessings chase the righteous. And so, uh, you know, I begin to experience the, 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 the curses of, of those decisions. Did you ever get any kind of serious trouble? I did. Uh, I did. Uh, I, 1999, I remember very clearly because I really, in my heart, realized my life was heading down a destructive path. And, you know, I, I had friends that would had went to jail. I had some that passed away along along the way. And I remember thinking, I'm going to end up dead, in j- dead or in jail if I keep this up. And so I remember I'd, I'd called my parents and said, man, I really want to start going back to church with you. And, and uh, I had a desire, but I felt powerless to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just felt like I did not have the power to change. It's kind of like that scripture that says when a demon's cast out of a man, it goes into the, into the dry places and it finds seven more powerful. They come back, they found the, the house empty, but clean. And they entered the man and he was worse than he was to begin mm-hmm. with. And so in 1999, I almost lost my life three times. Mm-hmm. Wow. The first time 
um, I was in a bad car accident. Uh, drink, I was out celebrating something and drinking and driving, and I, 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 wrecked, my, I wrecked the car that I was in, smashed it into a cement median uh, under one of the highways, and I had a girl that I was dating at the time who was hurt pretty seriously. She broke both of her legs, mm. sister in the back, uh, broke her hip, and there was, a, there was a, a child in the car at that time. And thankfully, I hit the windshield and the child hit my back. Uh, or I may not have been here to do this interview with you. So the insanity of sin, right? The slavery that, that it keeps you in and, and the foolish decisions you make. Another time I had an altercation of a nightclub and I remember uh, there was a guy that I was, we had, a, I was trying to fight him and I remember I had popped my trunk and all I could find in there was a screwdriver. And so he kept pulling up the street and I finally just threw it and I, it busted out his back window, but I had chased him so far up the road that by the time he turned around and came back, I started to run and I realized I either got to go under the tires or over the hood. And so I remember getting hit by, by the car and blacking out for a moment. Wow. And I remember when he came back around, it was coming around to, to finish me off. And uh, I was able to get up and get away and he ended up hitting a guardrail and, and, and something else from what I can remember. The problem was I would drink so much, I'd drink till I blacked out mm. often. And so I'd wake up the next day and go, oh my gosh, what happened, you know? And uh, well, I want to get to because I want to get to what God did in your life. <laughs> Amen. Let's get to that. It's coming yes. soon, real soon, right? Yeah, but I just I want to know, do you remember a moment when the presence of Christ arrested you? Sheila, I do. So I had been arrested in 2000 for DWI and unlawful carrying of a firearm. I was out on bond. I was at uh, I was at a friend's house and I would, you know, the, the craziness of this, I'd go drink with them and hang out before they'd go out to the clubs and then I'd, I'd go home. It was a really, uh, it wasn't a, a good setting. It, you know, there was alcohol, drugs present, and we're all sitting out on this porch, and it was one of the worst thunder and lightning storms I remember in Texas. And as we were sitting there, uh, I, the Holy Spirit came on me so strong. It, was, I, it felt like somebody had a gun drawn on me, and it was the most powerful prayer I've ever prayed in my life. And I heard the Lord say, Eric, you're going to live for me, and you're going to tell others what I've done for you. Uh-huh. And I I remember saying, yes, Lord. And man, when, when, the, when the Spirit of the Lord came, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I mean, I just wept, I mean, for probably 10 or 15 minutes, and these guys are thinking, what in the world is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, because I dealt with a lot of fear, the, the alcohol was liquid courage, right? Yeah. Yes. And so uh, they were used to me being the macho guy, the tough guy. And uh, I mean, I just wept and wept, and they couldn't believe it. And the first thing I wanted to do was call my dad. And I said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. And if I was drinking, that's the last person I called because my, my mom's dad was an alcoholic and my dad's dad was an alcoholic. Mm. So they'd all, we, they never had alcohol in the home. We was raised in a, a, a Christian home and just made a lot of bad choices because I was deceived and, and, and did. But I remember calling him. I said, Dad, you're not going to believe this, but I'm going to live for the Lord and I'm going to tell others what he's done for me. Mm. And he said, son, how much have you had to drink tonight? <laughs> so, wow. Which was a fair know. question. Yeah, it was a fair question. Yeah. I'd violated their trust so much. But the lie that I had believed all that time, I thought, I'm not living, you know, I'm not a Satan worshiper. I'm just doing my thing. Mm. You know, I'm going to come back to the Lord uh, in my time. And what I realized after that was there is no neutral ground. You're either serving God or you're serving the enemy. Absolutely. And I remember thinking, man, I cannot believe that. I want to live so loud for the Lord, the dead can hear me and come to life. Like if I live, if I live radical for the enemy, how much more for the Lord? And so yeah, it, it's just that moment I, I could I relive it when, when you ask about it. And so, so what happened? <laughs> what happened from then on? I mean, well, something everything changed. changed. Yeah, everything mm-hmm. changed. You know, I love to tell people 
the gospel changes everything. It does. It really does. The, uh, uh, matter of fact, if you broke down the New Testament words for gospel, evangel, kerygma, the words in layman's terms, it would sound something like this. The gospel is an announcement of such utter and paramount significance that upon hearing it, nothing again will ever be the same. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow. Okay. Would you just say that one more time? Yes. Yeah. That is <laughs> stunning. Yeah. So, so the gospel, the announcement of the gospel is an announcement of such utter and paramount significance that upon hearing it, nothing again will ever be the same. Amen. Right. And, and, and we, read in, we read in the scriptures, you know, where, 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 where it says clearly, it says the angels long to look into this salvation yeah. that we inherited. So when you're not hearing that, you realize, man, an angel wouldn't even turn his head at that. Like, we got to get to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so... What um, is it you think a lot of us have missed? Because I know that I, I spent the first 30 years of my life, I gave my life to Christ when I was 11. So I guess, you know, however many years that was, trying to be good enough for God. Mm. Trying to never let God down. Trying to never fail. And it wasn't until my life crashed... Right. And I ended up in a psych hospital that I discovered that it, it was never about me getting it right. Mm. It was about Christ who makes us right. That right. I was seeing myself in the mud I was sitting in. But when God looked at me, he saw the righteousness of Christ. Amen. Amen, Sheila. How did you get to that See, place of grasping and, and, hold of And I want to make really clear after sharing my story that my story is not about how bad I was. It's about how good God is. Yes. See, God doesn't love us because we're good. Mm -hmm. He loves us because he's good. Yeah. And see, we've made a, a major mistake in, in the church, I think, in this belief. And the enemy, he, he twists what we hear, right? But he, we've made it many times about being good. And the central issue of the gospel isn't about being good. It's about being loved. Mm -hmm. It's learning to live as a people that is radically loved by God. I think what has happened with the gospel is there's two ancient lies that I love to talk about. And many out here, we've, we've talked about it a lot. You can trace it all the way back to the garden. And then you can bring it all the way to modern, all modern day religion. And, and even in the church in America, it's creeped in. One is do to be. If you do this, you'll be like God. Mm -hmm. So Adam and Eve bought the lie. They reached for something higher than humanity and they fell to something less than human. Wow. Hmm. The second is do to get. If you do this, God will do this. Yes. Well, see, the problem with that, that puts God in a position where he's in debt to us and he responds to us. Mm -hmm. So if you got to understand in the new covenant, who's responding to who? See, God always initiates. Man always responds. If you think, if you ever think that God responds to man, you'll make Jesus into a button you can push or a lever you can pull. Yeah, you'll make, you'll use him as a means to an end yeah. rather than celebrating him as the beginning yeah. and the end. Oh, wow. Right? Right. That's one of the greatest lessons I learned when I was flat on the floor. I felt as if the Lord said, Sheila, well, for me, that realization was, I am not the good news. Jesus is. Amen. What a relief. <laughs> I mean, what a relief. You spend your whole life thinking, I've got to get this right. That's true. But I'm thinking of our viewers watching thinking, I recognize the truth of this. Hmm. I, I'm something stirring in me. How do I begin to shift my understanding? Yeah, that's good. That's a great question. Because I really believe inside of every believer, there's an eternal tuning fork <laughs> built within. And you say, I don't know that guy, but I know what he said was true. Yes. Because when you hear the gospel, it's like somebody hits that tuning fork and you got to move to that sound. Mm. We move to that sound the way the Lord showed me and the way he spoke to me. I remember ever since I was young, I had this sense of greatness about my life. We talked about this earlier. And in the flesh, I thought it meant, well, I'm going to be famous and everybody's going to know me. You know, it was all about me. And uh, what I didn't know, the Lord began to show me. He said, Eric, you know that sense of greatness you had since you were young? He said, it's not about something great you're going to do for me. It's about the one and the family to which you belong. 
When you're in Christ, it's about your identity. It's not who you are, it's whose you are. And because of whose you are, then it becomes about being a son and a daughter. And we can actually live. And he said, Eric, what I want you to do, I want you to stop living for the riches of Christ. And I want you to begin to live from the riches of Christ. That's huge. I mean, that's it, just right that there. It's, right, it's huge. Right, right. There's all these sermons you've just thrown in here. And all the, <laughs> Can but you I, go back I, for the next 12 right, weeks? Right, right. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. I mean, you, literally, you go to lifetoday.org and rewatch this show and, and hear this again. But mm. I, I have one question for you because okay. obviously this didn't just come out of nowhere. You, you didn't go from, you know, drunk at a party to all this understanding and this this really kind of a paradigm shift from a lot of today's churches, unfortunately. Sure. What was it that started you to, to change how you saw God and how you saw yourself that kind of started you down this path? Well, um, thank God I had a family who loved me. I had family that was praying for me. I always say, when you got family members praying for you and you're not living right, you're in a dangerous place. <laughs> yeah. So, oh man, I'm telling you. And so thank God for that. It's great, it's great. Yeah. I think that gives a lot of hope to parents out there who watch and thinking, my man. son's not living for the Lord, my daughter's not living for the Lord. That's right. You keep praying Please and he's keep praying. show up. Pray for these prodigals. Yeah. Pray for him because things will be different than they would have been because you prayed. Yeah. We can come boldly to the throne of grace where there's well-timed help in our time of need. I think of James when he said, uh, the prayer of the righteous man makes much power available, dynamic in its working. So yes, those prayers drew me in. Others took time to love me and care about me and tell me the good news. But the thing that really changed me, Randy, was when I set my eyes upon Jesus. The word says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For, for the joy set before him endured the cross. And you know, I think as Christians, we usually go, that, I get it. He's the author of my salvation, but I'm the finisher. Yeah, no, he's the author right. and the finisher. Right. And the word says in Corinthians, it says that when, when the, to this day, when the law is read, there's a veil over the eyes of men. But for one who will look to Christ, the veil is removed. And when we see Christ, we're changed from glory to glory. It's not by what we do that changes us. It's by seeing him. And when we see him and we receive this love, it radically changes our life. I mean, literally, the word says, in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. When y'all asked me to be on the show, I remember thinking, why well, haven't you talked about that old dead guy in a long time? I'm going to have to dig him up. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you dig him out of the grave, he stinks. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. but thank God in him, I'm a new creation. Yeah. And that we are found in Christ. Hmm. Over 163 times in the scripture, Paul implores us with in Christ or in him. And so... Um, that is really our glory is that we now, we no longer live for his love. We actually get to live from his love. Mm -hmm. And I like to tell people, I used to say, brother, you need to receive Jesus into your life. Mm -hmm. But what I now tell him is you need to receive his life as your life. Right? Because the right. gospel isn't just that you receive Jesus into your life. It's that he receives us into his life. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, we, that is an awesome yeah. reality. Yeah, that would qualify as awesome. So, he... If you think about, I'm trying to think of how to say all this in, in one sentence, and here's a great way to say it. That's tough. Jesus, that is tough. Jesus didn't just die for your sins and rise from the dead to give you a relationship with the Father. He came and he died to give you his relationship to the Father. Wow. Wow. So you are, if you're in Christ, you're as close to the Father as he is today. Wow. If you're in Christ, his perfection is now your perfection. Wow. If you're in Christ, his righteousness is now your righteousness. But see, in the human race, we don't talk about this often, but in the human race, there's really only two races of people. There's those who are in Adam, 
dead in their sin and those who are in Christ. And we don't recognize how bad our condition is. I think today we think I'm sick trying to get well or I'm bad trying to get good. But my God, he doesn't do that. He, he doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. Right. And the word says that those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those who are in the valley of the shadow of death, light has dawned. That's us. That's not just the people in Nazareth. That's not just the people in the Bible. That's us today. If you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're separated, alienated, and dead. Mm-hmm. If you're in Adam, you're as alienated as he is. You're as dead as he is. You're as condemned as he is. And you're as judged as he is. But if you're in Christ... You're as loved as he is. You're as forgiven as he is. And you're as whole as he is. Is that not a wonderful word? The joy of the gospel right there. And, you know, we have a chance to share the joy, the the life that Christ has put in us with other people. We have a wonderful opportunity to, to let that river flow and see dead come to life, sometimes literally. I want to show you a glimpse of what we can do if you will join with us in this campaign. Watch this. We've been here in Cambodia now with our team for about a week, listening to stories from mothers, just story after story. And there seems to be one common theme, heartbreak. In fact, just this morning, we heard another one of those stories here. I'd like to share that with you right now. ដាក់ដៅដាក់ដៅនោះហើយដាក់អត់ត្រូវកូនខ្ញុំ <coughs> Sai was only doing what every mother loves to do. She was trying to nurture her children. And that very thing that should bring so much joy to her has brought so much heartbreak because she's had to give them dirty water. But here's the good news. You and I have the ability to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be a miracle in the lives of these people by drilling a well and bringing clean water to take the place of this dirty water that's been bringing so much heartache, we can bring clean water that'll bring life to these children and give joy to these mothers. We can be that change. I honestly can't imagine the pain of a mother to have to bury five children. And not only that, to actually love your children so much that you wish they actually hadn't been born to you because if they'd been born to another mother in another country, their lives would have been different. I have walked with these moms and their children down to the only place where they can get water. And I've watched as they've got buckets full of this filthy water. And it's not just that it's dirty water, it's disease infested. And it's the only choice they have. They give their children that water or they give their children no water at all. 
but I've also been in the villages where we have been able to put a, a water well. And the amazing thing is, when we put a, a well in the village, the reason we call it water for life is, do you know it lasts for the whole life of the village? 70 years. So even though I have seen the heartache, I think it's very ironic that that beautiful mom's name is Sai. I want her to know her sigh has gone up to heaven, that God has heard her, and that you and I get the privilege of saying, no more children sigh. You're not gonna bury one more child. And Randy, it really doesn't take that much for you and I to make a difference. No, you know, it wouldn't be asking too much to drill a well just for that mother and her family. But one well will actually service an average of 1,000 people their whole lives. One well costs $4,800 on average. Can you provide one well? If you can, I would encourage you to do it. Go online, pick up the phone, and do it. For a lot of people, that's a lot of money, I understand. But you can partner with other viewers. $48 will provide water for a lifetime for 10 people. It's something all of us can do. We have some gifts to give to you to say thank you and to commemorate your support. But the important thing, Sheila, I think is, is to understand that as believers, we're not just recipients of God's goodness. Mm -hmm. We are expressions of his goodness. The water of life he gives to us, we give both spiritually and literally to those around the world in desperate need. And it, it does make a huge difference. Here's what Barry and I, my husband and I have decided to do. We've decided that every month we're gonna skip something. So for me, it might be skipping like a pedicure. I mean, I can paint my own nails. But when you do something like that, then you have that money to be able to give. Randy and I cannot change that. We, but our prayer here is at Life Outreach International is this year, we want to put 400 new wells in. The joy that that will bring, just if you and I decide we're gonna skip something, we don't really need any more. So please, would you go to your phone? Would you dial that number on the screen, call that number? Go online, get the best gift, and together we can change the world. Today, a mother living in extreme poverty will do the unthinkable. Give her children dirty, disease-filled water that she knows could kill them. With no other choice, what's a mother to do? With your help, clean water is on the way. Mission Water for Life provides a new beginning for thousands of children and their families. A bright future with better health. With your gift today, you can help drill 400 water wells in remote villages in 15 nations. Your gift of $24 will help provide clean water for five people. A gift of $48 will help provide for 10. $72 will provide for 15 people. And $144 will help provide life-giving water for 30 people for a lifetime. With your gift, we'll send you the miracles of Christ, what living beyond impossible looks like. Filled with scriptures, prayers, and stories of Jesus' miraculous power, James Robison adds insight about how to walk in faith and live beyond the impossible. With your gift of $100 or more, request the morning and evening coffee mug set. Each mug features beautiful artwork and scripture from Psalm 92.2, a wonderful reminder of God's faithfulness each day. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well and you may request the beautiful Bridge of Faith framed canvas print by Thomas Kincaid. Please call, write, or make your gift online. Please continue to go to the phones and go online. You can make a difference. You can help 
save a life. I hope you appreciate the wonderful word we've heard today. I know I appreciate it. Would you join me in thanking Eric for being here and sharing such great gospel. Sheila, was that amazing? It's amazing. You know, you mentioned in the book he doesn't have a book or he doesn't have a ministry. You, you are a book. <laughs> you are a book. So I thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time in life today. Next week on Life Today, Mark Rutland breaks down the marble statue and unearths the complicated and conflicted real David of the Bible. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.